Hey everybody, come on over here. It's the Northern Miner Podcast. Welcome to episode 116 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. And this week's show is all about graphite. I call it the forgotten battery mineral. Graphite has kind of lagged behind lithium and cobalt the last little while. Uh, You know, the battery demand only makes up about 10% of the graphite market. Uh, so it uh, has a bit of a lagged effect there. But uh, this week, our guest is Greg Bose. He's the CEO of Northern Graphite, and they're developing their uh, Bissett Creek Graphite project near Ottawa, about halfway between Ottawa and North Bay. And uh, we reached Greg by Skype in Ottawa, and uh, we talked to him about the graphite market generally, supply and demand, what's been going on there the last uh, few years. Of course, graphite has many uses, uh, but the one that uh, is driving the demand growth is uh, in electric vehicle batteries, and there the graphite is the anode material in lithium-ion batteries, and this uh, lithium-ion battery market is growing at 20% per year, so uh, it's really something. And uh, a thing that uh, graphite producers uh, often talk about, or promoters, uh, that it takes 30 to 40 times more graphite than lithium to make a lithium-ion battery. So a lithium-ion battery is in many ways... Uh, Graphite battery. And as a teaser here, this is from a market report earlier in the year from Roskill, and they start out with the phrase, uh, graphite demand is about to enter a period of rapid growth and price escalation. Consumption has been previously led by steel market applications and Chinese industrialization, but it slowed as Chinese steel output growth slowed during the period 2010 to 2017. However, Rapid growth in demand for natural flake graphite and synthetic graphite in the lithium-ion battery industry is now forecast to underpin total graphite demand growth of 5-7% to 7% per year between 2017 and 2027. By 2027, consumption of graphite in battery applications could be 5-10 to 10 times higher than the current level, depending on the uptake in uh, EVs. Furthermore, Roskill forecasts electric and hybrid vehicles could account for 69% of all motor vehicle sales by 2027. This podcast is sponsored by the Grosso Group of Companies, led by entrepreneur Joe Grosso out of Vancouver. The three companies, uh, public companies in the Grosso Group are Argentina Lithium and Energy, Blue Sky Uranium, and Golden Arrow Resources, and all three are uh, involved in Argentina. And you can go to the website grossogroup.com to find out more about these uh, companies and the Grosso Group generally. The latest news out of the Grasso Group is a uh, second quarter report from Golden Arrow Resources, and they're uh, discussing their second quarter results from the Puna operations in Argentina. That's a joint venture with operator SSR Mining. One of the highlights is that uh, their Chinchillas project remains on track. They trucked their first ore to the Perquita site in July 2018. And the project remains on schedule for sustained ore delivery in the fourth quarter of the year and on budget with material advancements in construction and development activities made during the quarter. 
and they are continue to explore, uh, including a 2,400 meter surface drill program at Brikitas, targeting mineralization to augment underground mineral resources. Our second sponsor is the Yukon Mining Alliance. That's a group of 17 mostly junior companies uh, exploring for minerals in the Yukon. And they uh, have a website at yukonminingalliance.ca where they uh, talk about all kinds of activities in the Yukon. And they also have a nice Twitter feed at @investyukon, where you can follow news from the territory. And some news out of the Yukon. Uh, one of the members is Alexco Resource, and they're restarting the Kino Hill project. So in the second quarter, they had a net loss of $1.9 million. Uh, not unexpected because they're in the development stage. But I thought this was interesting that in the second quarter, uh, Alexco has an environmental consulting business, a little unusual, called Alexco Environmental Group. And they realized a revenue of $3.5 million with gross profit of $1.4 million. So a nice little profit generator there. It's quite a bit of activity with the Alexco Environmental Group. One thing in June, uh, mid-June, they acquired Contango Strategies. That's a private company based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, for $1.4 million. And their U.S. subsidiary, Alexco Water and Environment, entered into a master's service agreement with the Colorado Legacy Land LLC to become the operator of responsible charge for the Schwarzwalder Mine and the former Canyon City Uranium Mill Reclamation and Cleanup Project. These are long-term arrangements that will take more than 10 years to complete, and they should generate revenue in excess of $20 million for the uh, Lexco Group. Let's take a quick look at the uh, spot prices for the major metals. Uh, I should say today, as I'm recording this, we've hit the longest bull market in modern history since World War II. So there have been uh, 11 bull markets uh, since the end of World War II, and uh, this one is now the longest. But uh, that has not been good for the metals. You've got... Uh, very strong U.S. dollars pushing down everything. So gold is now at 11.95. It's been yeah, it's just been a terrible few weeks for metal prices. So gold is down 28.40 in the last 30 days. That's two over two percent, and it's down 88.8 dollars uh, uh, over the past year. Silver is only uh, 14.72. That's down 60 cents over the past month, or 2.24 over the past year. Platinum 7.94. That's down $38 in the last uh, month, or down $183 over the past year. So that's down almost 19% uh, year over year. It's even worse with platinum if you look at the five-year chart, which is horrendous. It's down uh, $742 over the past five years, or a 48% uh, decline. Palladium uh, is the best of the bunch there. It's at 922 and it's actually up uh, $15 over the last month. And over the past year, there's no change. Over in the base metals, quickly, uh, copper, 272 per pound, nickel, 614 per pound, zinc, $1.12, lead, only 91 cents, and uranium, holding steady at 2610 uh, per pound, U308. Now back to the graphite. Uh, there was one aspect um, of the interview with Greg uh, we didn't quite touch on, but there is the aspect on... Um, graphite being a, a strategic mineral. Some people are sort of working that angle. You've got Novo Carbon in the U.S., and uh, their CEO, Paul Gorman, was in uh, Washington, D.C. to uh, meet with the Department of Energy and the Department of Defense. And what you have within the U.S. Department of Defense, you have the Defense Logistics Agency, the DLA, and they have the task of addressing a requirement to strengthen the supply chains for a number of critical minerals, including graphite, Here's just an excerpt from the DLA. 
They say they are seeking to identify a domestic capability that demonstrates the ability to source and manufacture battery-grade graphite, both natural and synthetic. Graphite is an integral component in batteries, conductive coatings, refractories, brake systems, lubricants, paints, powdered metal compounds, and other critical parts. The DLA says defense weapon systems use various strategic and critical materials of which there are very limited domestic production of these materials and therefore a risk of foreign reliance. So it's a bit of a throwback to the Cold War era where they're starting to think about uh, strategic reserves uh, in the U.S. after building them up during the Cold War and then selling them off um, in the years subsequent. As part of my preparation uh, before interviewing Greg, I just reviewed some of the projects uh, going on around the world. Uh, you know, graphite, it's all juniors doing it. There's no majors involved whatsoever. Graphite had this big boom, kind of peaking maybe uh, 2011, 2012-ish, uh, and then it's been kind of quiet. But a lot of the juniors are still there, this, a lot of the same players. So I did a bit of a review here, so I'll share it with you. These are the projects in Canada, and of course it's all Grenville uh, province, uh, eastern seaboard, uh, younger rocks here. You've got, uh, North, of course, Northern Graphite with their Bissett Creek in Ontario. Other Ontario projects are Zenyatta Ventures. They have their Albany project near Thunder Bay. You have Ontario Graphite. That's actually a privately owned company. I believe the private equity is running that one. And they have a, the Kearney uh, Graphite Mine here in Ontario. Quebec has the most uh, graphite juniors. They have seven juniors uh, that are publicly traded um, in Canada. You've got Mason Graphite. They have their Lac Guéret project. Focus Graphite, Lac Knife uh, near Fermont. Canada Carbon have their Miller project, Saint-Jean Carbon. They just fired the president in June. I'm not sure what's going on there. Lomico Metals, La Loutre, Berkwood Resources. They have the uh, extension to the Lac Guéret area there. And they have Nouveau Monde Graphite. They have their Mattawini project. In the U.S., there's Alabama Graphite. They have their Lusa project in Alabama. And up in Alaska, there's Graphite One Resources. And uh, as I mentioned before, Novo Carbon. That was uh, used to be called Great Lakes Graphite. And uh, they're not so much a miner, but they do manufacture battery-grade graphite in the U.S. and uh, sell graphite products. Other ones... Are Brazil, you've got South Star Mining, Santa Cruz Project. Sweden, that's where Leading Edge Materials is. That was the merger of Flinders Resources and Tasman Metals. That happened uh, like two years ago. And they have that Waxna mine, if that's, I'm saying that right, which is suspended. Over in Sri Lanka, one of the oldest uh, sources of uh, graphite, I believe the, the British Army used that for cannons. Uh, you've got Alcora with their advanced materials. They have their Ragadara mine. Uh, Elcor has their headquarters in Halifax here um, in Canada. Another Canadian junior in Sri Lanka is Ceylon Graphite. They have their uh, K1 development project and the Malsiripura project. They're led by uh, President and CEO Bharat Parishar. Interesting little note here. One of the directors is George Smitherman, the Toronto politician, Ontario politician. Uh, he was brought in that Green Energy and Economy Act in Ontario, which was such a disaster. And of course, uh, Africa is a big area for juniors. In Guinea, you've got SRG Graphite. They have their Lola deposit. Madagascar, you've got Next Source Material. That used to be called Energizer Resources, and they have that big Molo project. And DNI Metals is also in Madagascar. Vohitsara uh, in Mozambique. They have a lot of um, Australian juniors, um, including you've got 
the uh, company called Battery Minerals. They have two projects in the Cabo Delgado region. Their first production is coming up fairly soon uh, at Montepoez. Their first shipment uh, should be ne- early next year. And they also have the Balama project where they should have a feasibility study done soon. Another one um, is in Australia, Renescore. They have a pre-feasibility study at their Sivior project. But uh, these are all juniors, but of course, you know, China is the dominant player. 80% of the production comes out of China, so that's where all the action is. So we'll get into that with Greg when we come back. And there's one moment, uh, just re-listening to the interview with Greg, uh, there's a bit of a mix-up with uh, just a project. There's Lac Knife, which is being developed by Focus Graphite, and Lac Guéret, which is Mason Graphite. As a side note here, there's the Lac des Îles Graphite uh, Mine, I believe it's called, and that's in Quebec, and that's being run by Emerus Graphite and Carbon. That's a private Swiss company, so that's not to be confused with the Lac des Îles Palladium Mine uh, in Ontario here, up near Thunder Bay. So we'll take a little break and come back with Greg Bowes to talk about graphite. I'm joined here by Greg Bowes. He's the CEO of Northern Graphite. Greg did a great service to the whole uh, mining community here. He wrote a um, quite a f- nice feature in our August 16th, uh, sorry, August 6th edition about graphite. It's called the Graphite Opportunity Within the EV Boom. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, John. Thank you. Yeah, now throughout all of 2018, uh, cobalt and nickel and uh, have really been getting the headlines, especially with all the drama out of uh, the DRC, but uh, you know, graphite was so lively there a few years ago, but it's been kind of quiet. Can you, can you just explain what's been happening uh, with the price action with graphite uh, lately? And then we can get into the supply-demand uh, aspects. Yeah, sure. Just uh, to give, quickly give you the high-level overview, uh, graphite prices kind of went crazy in 2012 due to uh, the commodity supercycle and growth in China and the steel market and all that good stuff. But shortly thereafter, the Chinese economy slowed down, and all of the steel-related commodities, iron ore, coal, graphite, uh, crashed uh, along with it. Yes. So it's kind of been sideways action and very frustrating ever since for the uh, graphite market, waiting Mm -hmm. for battery demand to get big enough to start driving the price on its own, as it's done for other minerals and waiting for the uh, for the steel market to recover. So those things kind of came together uh, in the second half of 2017, and we saw a 30 or 40% increase in prices, uh, but from a very low base. So yes. prices are better, but still not great, uh, except uh, at the very top end for the extra-large flake, if you want to put it that way, Production of those grades is declining in China, and prices are uh, are quite robust. Now, can you just explain the breakdown between the battery sector and the steel sector, and, and I guess any other sector with graphite? Uh, yes. If you go back to even, let's say, 2005, 2006, uh, battery demand for graphite was essentially nothing. Hmm. And right now it's about 25 or 30 percent of the market so we've seen pretty substantial growth 
uh, over 20% a year, and wow. that is uh, certainly uh, continuing. So we are getting close to the point where um, battery demand is going to uh, start affecting graphite prices. Uh, steel demand would be 40 to 50% of the market, just mm-hmm. to give you some perspective. And then the balance, uh, I guess the third big one would be expandable graphite, which is kind of a technical market. But anyway, it's largely based on the bigger flake sizes. And then there's a whole myriad of other uses in pencils and lubricants and uh, various other things. So with the um, steel, can you just track the graphite usage with the steel tonnage production? Is it like a straight uh, line between the two? Yes, pretty much. Graphite is uh, a little bit different. It's not an alloy in the steel-making process. Graphite is used to make refractories, which are essentially fire bricks that line blast furnaces Mm -hmm. uh, to protect them. And those bricks are 10 to 25% graphite because it's a lightweight reinforcement that doesn't rust or doesn't corrode. Uh, Those bricks wear out over time, so Mm. it's essentially a consumable in the steelmaking process. And then uh, just going back a bit, the expandable flakes, can can you just expand on that, as it were? Yes. The large flake graphite is treated with a dilute acid solution and these flakes if you looked at them under a microscope are like a deck of cards there are many many layers Mm -hmm. the liquid intercalates between the layers and uh, if you heat it it vaporizes and it causes the flakes to split apart and it's almost like foam the uh, volume of graphite expands three or four hundred times it's then pressed into sheets, kind mm. of self-binding sheets like, mm-hmm. a, like a felt would be a good um, analogy. So you've got a sheet of pure carbon, essentially, almost pure carbon, that is flexible, conductive, resistant to acids and corrosion. And they're used, it's used in very many applications. A big one would be consumer electronics. Mm-hmm. So the back of your smartphone has a sheet of uh, graphite foil, Hmm. um, which moves the heat away from the chip. High-end gaskets and sealants in, you know, harsh environments, chemical environments. It's used in fuel cells. So a lot of of different stuff, and it's a very very fast-growing market. Fire retardants is another one, Hmm. again, because graphite has such a high uh, melting point. So does the extra-large flake, does that uh, command some kind of premium to a regular old flake? Um, Absolutely. Uh, Just to give you a quick uh, idea, small flake might be, you know, around $900 to $1,000 a ton. Large flake would be about $1,300 a ton. And when you get into the XL flake, you're up to $2,000 a ton. So Mm -hmm. quite a substantial premium. So if you're looking around at juniors today, you really want to be an extra-large flake producer or a developer, as it were. Yes, that's correct. Um, that's where the most money is. That's where the highest margin is. But at the same time, those markets, the large fl- extra-large flake markets are smaller, right. so there isn't room for multiple projects. I see. A lot of the excitement centers around the <clears throat> lithium-ion battery side, mm-hmm. which in fact uses small flake. Mm-hmm. And in future, we will need substantial volumes of small flake and multiple 
new mines. But in the short term, there is a surplus of small fleet production capacity in China. Right. So prices are not as good in that market. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's you know we're we're fortunate in our deposit in that it will produce almost entirely large and extra large flake, and that's pretty unique. Most mines produce a mixture of small, medium, and large, and some of them are heavily weighted towards the small end of the spectrum. Now, going back to the China with the excess capacity, what is the form of that excess capacity? Are there mines like running at half, half capacity, or are there just deposits waiting to be developed, or how does that look? Um, a little bit of both. I would say the kind of the traditional uh, Chinese uh, production is close to full capacity, but the uh, government in Liu Bei in Heilongjiang province has built a big new mine, and that mine only operates for three or four months a year because they're trying to match um, supply with demand. Mm-hmm. And that one big mine feeds 11 private processing plants, and they're only operating at 30% capacity. I see. So they uh, they can definitely crank it up in the short term. We're kind of insulated from that again because those mines produce almost entirely small flake and no uh, large flake. So it doesn't really affect what we're trying to do, but it certainly does have an effect on the... Um, on the battery market. Now, I think you touched a bit on this on your article, but how do you keep an eye on the markets? Uh, you know, with, with you know the developments in China and the prices uh, in these small markets. Like, how how do you uh, keep on top of it all? Yeah, well, it's not. Uh, I, I guess I'd say it's not easy, particularly particularly for the average investor. Let's say because historically graphite has been <clears throat> kind of an opaque secret of market, mm-hmm. even more so than. Um, some of the other uh, specialty minerals, and part of that is that China produces 70 or 80 percent of the world's graphite, and sometimes their statistics are not the best. Yes. But anyway, there are a number of services that follow the market, like the most well-known ones would be Roskill Industrial Minerals and Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, and they comment on the market and provide uh, pricing information. Mm Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, uh, in terms of me personally, comes from talking to people who are actually in the industry doing the buying and selling and going to China and talking to people uh, people in China. So it basically breaks down to small flake, medium flake, large flake, extra large? Is that how it works? Yeah, yes. I mean, there are literally dozens of grades, but the, the, uh, that, mm-hmm. that will work. Right. That will work. I I would add there's also fines down at the bottom, um, and, uh, you know, (coughs) fines cannot be used in any of the major markets like batteries and and steel and expandable graphite. So mines that uh, produce a high percentage of fines uh, have a a significant marketing challenge. So a typical uh, graphite deposit, what is the distribution of these different flake sizes within a deposit? I would say generally um, a rule of thumb might be a third, a third, a third. Mm -hmm. So a third large and extra large, a third small and medium, and a third fines. Right. And some are are better than that, some are worse than that. So most producers are going to have to end up selling a, a range of graphite products. 
Absolutely. Right. Purity, is that an issue with graphite, or is it always fairly pure? Uh, No, that's a fairly big issue. Unlike um, some of the base metals mines, for example, that produce a copper or a nickel concentrate that's 20 or 30 percent purity, and then it has to go for refining and smelting, uh, graphite mines produce essentially a finished product, and most of the ones that are in the pipeline can produce purities above 94% carbon, and that's fairly important. Once you're above 94%, you know, the difference in price between 94 and 98% is not that great. Mm-hmm. But if you're below 94, the pricing falls off the table pretty quickly. So you need the average purity from your concentrate of your mine has to, you have to get up in the 94% range and hopefully a little bit higher to really be economic. Right. Now, are there any special concerns when you're mining graphite or processing it uh, to not destroy the flake, the larger flakes? Yes, not so much on the mining side. It's a straight drilling and blasting and load and haul operation. But crushing and grinding destroy flake size Mm -hmm. and add to cost. So you want to be careful with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, you need to get to uh, 94% purity. So some graphite deposits have a very hard matrix and therefore take a lot more grinding, firstly to liberate the flakes, Mm -hmm. get them out of the rock, and then to polish and clean them up so that they're at 94% purity. So you lose a lot of the higher value large stuff, but you can't help it because you need to get to those levels. But there are things that you can do to some extent to minimize uh, damage and breakage and all of that kind of stuff. There was this flurry of graphite exploration a few years ago uh, and some deposits were drilled out and things like that. Do you, do you feel like there's enough deposits have been explored? Or uh, I think of the, the only graphite deposit I've been to is the Lac Knife one. Um, this was back just before 9-11. Uh, Mazarin had it. And it seemed like the perfect huge deposit, high quality, and that's never been developed. Yeah. the um, There were uh, four or five in Canada that were explored during the 80s uh, when there was a little bit of a boom. And one of them went into production, which is the Lac Knife Deposit, which is uh, north of Montreal, and it's owned by Imaris, which is a big um, French-Swiss industrial operation. And then uh, there was another one near uh, Huntsville, and ours was number three uh, at the time. So it was identified back then. But anyway, I often get asked the question, how much graphite is out there? And uh, when I started seven or eight years ago, I said, nobody knows because nobody's looked. But uh, to make a long story short, junior companies have gone out there and done what junior companies do. And the graphite resources that they've identified are um, huge. Right. So there are a number of deposits in Canada and a number of deposits in Africa And many of these deposits are very large. So there's no shortage of material in the ground. Uh, But, and there's a very big but here, I I would make the case that almost none of it is economic at current prices. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons it hasn't been developed. They would have been economic based on 2012 prices, 
but prices have come way down since then. Right. And capital cost of these projects is high. And another important factor is that resource size does not really matter. Um, you know, we could all produce 20,000, 50,000, 80,000 tons a year of concentrate, whatever, but you can only produce what the market will bear. Yes. And you have to remember that we're dealing with smaller specialty markets. Mm -hmm. So you have to right-size your project for the market that's here now. We all expect the market to go up substantially with uh, battery demand. Mm -hmm. um, that's not here yet. You know, the big question would be, would somebody give you the money today for a market that you expect might be here in 2020? Or are they going to wait until they see that the market is here before they give you the money? Right. You know, the low prices, the high capital costs, and the fact that the big market is not here yet, all of these things have kind of uh, slowed the development, if you will, of all of these projects which are sitting there um, ready to take off mm -hmm. if they had money and if they had the market. Right. And, and which segment of the uh, demand side do you find the most interest when you go around uh, pitching the Bissett Creek? Oh, absolutely, the um, the large flake nature of the deposit, uh, mm -hmm. because it is the most valuable, because there are supply issues and challenges, and you're not competing with the Chinese. Right. If you're in the small flake market and the battery market, you're head-to-head -head with the Chinese. Right. And as I said, there's... Uh, in the short term anyway, there's excess production capacity there. Right, right. So it's just a given if you're a North American developer, you're looking for non-Chinese customers. Yes, and that, and that is a bit of a problem because China is the biggest market, mm -hmm. but it's also the lowest price market, and you have to bear the cost of shipping there. So, you know, prices are higher in Europe and the United States than they are in China. Right. A question I always wondered, uh, graphite's conductive. Do you get a lot of, uh, in the past when people were looking for sulfides, um, were you getting a lot of false positives with the graphite deposits? Is that a factor at all? Like, Are there a lot of deposits that are, that are um, out there in the files somewhere? Yeah, it is a, it is a problem in exploration in that uh, people that are looking for BMS-type deposits, for example, drill conductors, and end up with graphite, finding yes. graphite, but not so much um, commercial uh, quantities. Right. Um, I mean, a graphite deposit is, is kind of a totally separate beast right, right. from the MS deposit. You, when, you, when you have graphite, basically you have graphite. You don't really have any byproducts. Right. Now, when you go out pitching uh, Bissett Creek to people, how much of a factor is the um, political stability of Ontario versus uh, Madagascar or somewhere like that? It's definite, definitely a factor. You know, there have been a number of issues or incidents over the years in uh, operating in, in lesser developed countries, whether they're in South America or mm -hmm. Africa or Asia. So it's certainly a, uh, a positive that it's in uh, North America and also closer to, obviously, the U.S. and the European, uh, European markets. I guess another big issue here, we just had our big diamond conference here. A big issue there was the synthetic uh, diamonds versus real diamonds. What's going on with the synthetic graphite versus natural graphite? Synthetic graphite is sort of akin to making an industrial diamond. You're, you're taking carbon, which is usually petroleum coke or something like that, oh. 
and converting it to the graphite molecular structure. So it's a very uh, heat and energy intensive process and very expensive. But for the most part, they're two separate products and they're two separate markets. So right. synthetic and natural really don't compete in their major markets. The one area where they do compete, though, is in lithium-ion batteries. So mm -hmm. you can make anode material for batteries from either. Mm -hmm. uh, synthetic has the advantage that it's a manufactured product and more consistent quality. It also has a much longer cycle life. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, you know, after five or six years, the battery has more of, more of its uh, energy capacity remaining, hmm. uh, but it's much, much more expensive. So mm -hmm. natural graphite results in a higher capacity battery. In other words, your charge lasts longer hmm. uh, and is much cheaper. Over time, the trend is towards using more natural. Right, I see. And the, the synthetic, would that be equivalent in grain size to a fine graph, natural graphite? Yes, it's definitely smaller, yes. Right, huh, okay. And uh, maybe just tell us about your Bissett Creek project in um, Ontario. What's going on there? Yes, we uh, we were pretty much the original uh, new graphite company back around 2010, mm -hmm. and we you know went all the way through and did a full feasibility study on it and got our major environmental per permit. Mm -hmm. And kind of uh, since the graphite market turned down. You know, it's very difficult to develop a project in any commodity when the, when the price is low. So yes. we've kind of been working away on it, and now we see the window opening again. We uh, are basically doing two things. One is we are updating the feasibility study with current numbers. So when we did the original one, the Canadian and U.S. dollar was just about at par, and the oil price was over $100 a barrel. So we're going to definitely get a pickup there. And there have been some improvements in processing technology and some good quality, uh, more cost-effective equipment from China. So all of those things, we hope, and some process improvements are going to lead to a bit of an improvement in the capital and the operating costs of the project. And so that those updated numbers will hopefully be available in the fall. And uh, the other thing we're doing is uh, going full speed on the permitting. It's a long, tortuous process in Ontario, but we have the major uh, uh, mining permit, which is approval of the mine closure plan. Mm -hmm. Then there are probably 10 or 15, I'll call them smaller operating type permits, air, noise, water, all those kinds of things that we're working through. You know the risk that we won't get them is very is very low now that we have the main one, mm -hmm. um, but it just takes time right, right. and effort. Right, and right. I would also add that you know we've done extensive community and First Nation consultation on uh, on it and uh, have encountered zero opposition to the project. Great, yeah, it's a very clean process, I would think, having a graphite mine. Uh, it is, especially in our case, because we are able to. Um, we're doing a small sulfide float at the end of the uh, at the end of the process, and the result of it is that 97% of our tailings are non-acid generating, mm -hmm. and there's be metal issues. So you know, graphite is about as benign as you can get for right. uh, for a mining project, recognizing that by nature mining projects will always have some impact on the environment. 
Right. Terrific. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a great roundup on graphic. So uh, just like the last question there, uh, in the year ahead, say, what should people keep an eye on in the graphite world? Would it be the EV market? Yes, that's going to continue to expand and grow the EV market and the grid storage market. They're two huge markets, and they're still in their infancy in terms of uh, market penetration. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of um, runway left for lithium-ion battery growth, and that means growth in the demand for uh, graphite. Uh, recovering steel industry is helping, and uh, shortages of the XL flake graphite are uh, causing prices to start uh, edging up. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic about what the next 12 months are going to bring. Great. Good to hear. Okay, thanks for joining us, Greg. And uh, for people who want to catch up on what uh, Greg had to say about the whole market, you can uh, look at that graphite opportunity within the EV boom. Uh, I'll link to it in our um, show notes, and I'll uh, take the subscriber wall off it so everyone can read it. All right. Appreciate that, John. Thanks, Greg. does it for this episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And you can help us out by liking, subscribing, sharing the podcast, as well as thanking our sponsors. You can also subscribe to the Northern Miner, very cheap, and uh, advertise with the Northern Miner. Uh, I guess something coming up, uh, our next special will be Mexico, so you can look out for that. And on the podcast, we have a pretty interesting interview coming up. This will close out the summer. Um, the podcast, we have an interview, Trish Saywell, our senior staff writer here in Toronto. She had a long uh, sit-down interview with uh, Margaret Kent, or Peggy Kent, Peggy Witte, if you remember for her from the ni- early 1990s. She was a huge figure in uh, Canadian uh, culture. She was a uh, CEO of Royal Oak Mines, which was a sprawling, rambling uh, gold empire and all went bankrupt uh, in the mid 1990s and uh, she's had a wild uh, roller coaster ride of a career ups and downs and uh, she's very frank in this interview covers it all right from her beginnings uh, in the in her early 20s big success there and uh, it's just a fascinating interview so um, that'll be a special treat there uh, to close out august so till then bye-bye